0: All right, well, you can turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter four. We'll begin in verse eight uh, this morning as you're finding your place uh, in Galatians. uh, Let me uh, remind you that next weekend is our Gospel-Centered Parenting Conference. Thank you, Jordan. And uh, we uh, still have uh, registration open until the end of today. And so we'd love for you to join us for that next weekend, Friday evening and Saturday morning or whatever portion of that you can make. There will be breakouts uh, talking about specific issues. Uh, The cost is only $25 per person, and uh, we will have uh, Dr. Paul Purvis and his wife, Kimberly. Uh, Paul is the pastor of Mission Hill Church in Tampa. He's also the current president of the Florida Baptist Convention, so he will be uh, leading our main sessions, and he'll be with us on Sunday morning, uh, next Sunday, in all three services, and so we will be blessed to have uh, him with us. All right, Galatians chapter four, verse eight through 21. It says by the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? We'll pause there this morning. Perhaps you notice the Apostle Paul's tone in this text. The Apostle Paul has been writing to the Galatians, and he's talked about the gospel and the promise of the gospel, that it is Christ's work, that saves us and that's it and that it's going to complete us. And so our focus should be on Christ's sufficient work. The problem that's happening here and that happens elsewhere is it becomes a focus on the work on works as a means to righteousness on works as the measure of where we are with Christ. And the answer to this is to be centered on the gospel, around the gospel. Now, you may have noticed that the Apostle Paul uses the word brothers in this text. There were Gentiles, those who did not come up with a background and an understanding of the God of the Old Testament, at least clearly, who heard the gospel message preached before him to Abraham and now revealed fully in Christ and who repented and who trusted in Jesus. Jesus. Paul is writing to these Galatian believers and he references them before they knew God. Verse eight, he says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Paul wants to reserve the word God for the one true God, but he knows that formerly the Galatians were in bondage to that which they called gods. Paul is saying that formerly the Gentile Galatians had, known, had not known the true God. And they had been enslaved to demonic powers who exercised this power through religious, spiritual practices. He says in verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. And I love that he places the emphasis there. Because sometimes when we talk about our relationship with God, we define it in the terms of I found God. As if God was hidden in some secret place. And it was our ability and our persistence that is the reason we are saved. But no, God created us and God has pursued us. And when we realize that he is not far away, that's when we are saved. It's him that does the work. It's him that deserves the glory. And so Paul says, if this is you, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? How can you turn back again to a righteousness that is based on our adherence, that is based on our devotion? He's saying you were once enslaved to worldly powers via pagan practices and rituals. And it appears to to me that you are now going to be enslaved again via religious observance. He says in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Now let's make sure we understand what Paul is saying here. Because this is not Paul saying that you cannot celebrate any holidays. I saw the look at some of you and your face and you said, if he's about to tell me I can't celebrate Christmas, I'm finding a new church. It's not what he's saying. You cannot take this text and lay it on any type of external celebration and say it's unbiblical or it's ungodly. There have been people in church history who have done this. Ironically, the pilgrims are one of these groups. The pilgrims escaped uh, and came to the new world and they didn't celebrate Christmas. They wouldn't celebrate Christmas. They viewed it and other holidays as just another day. And some of their justification was in texts like this. They said there are no days that are holier than others. And so they saw it as paganism to celebrate any of these days. And so how do we honor them? By creating a holiday in their honor called Thanksgiving. So, so what is Paul saying here? He's saying there was apparently an issue, excuse me, there was apparently an issue that he's dealing with here that's widely debated. If you look at Romans chapter 14, verse five and six, we see that he, he talks about this. He says, and you can see him talk about this in Colossians and other places as well. He says there, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So he's saying, look, if you continue to celebrate these festivals from the Old Testament in this context, or you celebrate some of the cultural festivals and try to redeem them, you need to do that honoring God. And if you don't, you do that because you're honoring God. And so they were saying, if there's a traditional, excuse me, they were saying, if there's a traditional celebration, you have to do it. You have to, and you're not really a Christian if you don't. And you see a little bit of this today. I mean, there are believers who say, if Christians don't acknowledge Passover, if they don't celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, if they don't take part in Purim, then they aren't really honoring God. Or, or those who who take the practice of Lent, which is really not in the Bible, but they take the practice of Lent and they say, hey, over church history, we've done that, or Advent, and they think you're not spiritual if you don't do Lent or if you don't do Advent, if you're not all in with that. And and even those in Baptist life or a little more low church who say, hey, if you don't do something special on Mother's Day or Father's Day or Independence Day or Memorial Day, and what they're saying here is they're saying, hey, you need to be acknowledging the things in culture, and if not, are you really even honoring God? Now, there's a couple of things going on here. So this is my opinion. So I understand that when we gather together, the purpose of us gathering together is to exalt Jesus Christ and is to remember our identity as sons and daughters in his kingdom. And so This isn't a knock on those who celebrate more of these things and put more emphasis on some of those things. That's between them and the Lord. But what I want you to walk away with when you leave here today is the reality that there is one who deserves to be exalted and there is one identity that lasts forever. Oh, so you don't even like moms. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we need to exalt Christ, we need to be focused on the kingdom. I would also say this, on a personal level, however we choose to celebrate these things and, and what we might try to do in our personal walk and choose a church based on, we need to understand that, that doesn't make us any more righteous. And the problem that the Galatians needed to avoid is that these became a measure of spiritual maturity to the point that we're even saying, you're not really a Christian if you don't keep doing these things. This is the, remind, the wrong mindset. We need to understand this. Religious observance does not earn us anything. Religious observance does not earn us anything. Festivals in the Old Testament are a response to who God is and what God has done. And ultimately, they're pointing to what God will do in Christ. Worship is a response to what God has done and who God is centered around Christ. And these festivals and worship keeps us centered around what is really center. That is what Paul had sought to establish in all the churches, specifically the Galatians in this case. And Paul says, and now let's understand how much of a problem this mindset is. He says this, verse 11, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. He says, maybe there was no purpose in my gospel ministry if what is now being emphasized is a gospel that says Jesus and, Jesus plus. And Paul's fear and concern becomes a plea for the Galatians. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Paul says, I entreat you, I plead with you, I urge you. And his application may catch you off guard. He says, become like me. Look at my life and be like me. Now, is this arrogant? Is this okay to say? Yes, it is okay to say. It's okay to say for two reasons. One is because words are not enough. We must model the Christian life. What we profess should connect to how we live. And the other reason that it's okay for him to say is because it's legit in his life. He really is trying to follow Christ. We need to understand that discipleship is taught and caught. Discipleship is taught and caught. We throw that word discipleship around here a lot Means to become more like Christ. That's really what believing and belonging and becoming is. And we are called to make disciples as Christians. It's something we proclaim and we teach, and it's something that we model. John Wesley talks about how disciples come from uh, the crowd to the cell to the core. And so he's saying there's a crowd who's gathered to hear the words of Jesus and you can see that example in the Bible and I would say today that's probably the group that meets together on Sunday morning and you're hearing the words of Jesus but among that crowd there are those who genuinely want to learn the ways of Jesus. And so whether that's in one of our life groups or some other way you're going to gather together with other believers to learn the ways of Jesus through teaching and through examples of other believers and you hopefully will eventually be used in that same way. And there's the core that really says that's what we are committed to. You need to understand this about our church. There are people who have been attending classes together for 20 plus years who don't know much about each other. They're friendly with one another, but they really don't know about each other's spiritual condition. I'm not saying it's bad to be in a class with somebody and to be friendly with somebody. But if we think that's the aim that Christ has for his church, we are greatly confused about the target. Listen to me, I love you. If no one is speaking into your life, you are not obeying the commands of Jesus. If you're not really talking about how you're living out what I'm talking about, it's not really living the ways of Jesus. I'm not saying you have to do it through one of our life groups, but you need to do it with some group of people. And ultimately, you need to be modeling that. And it's not arrogant to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And notice that Paul says, and I have become as you are. He's saying, I've met you where you are. I've been with you. So it's not just me up here telling you what to do. You've been with me and you've seen me and you've seen my love for you. And Paul says, I've seen your love for God. Look at what he says in verse 13. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God or a messenger of God as Christ Jesus. So Paul had some kind of illness or ailment, and it led to his ability to do ministry amongst the, Gent- the Galatians and to preach the gospel because Paul's hardship le- led to fruitfulness, and sometimes... That's what's gonna happen in your life. You need to learn to be at a place where you're okay with God allowing a difficult situation in your life and you are fully aware that God will use you in the midst of that difficult situation because God is with us in that. And so in the midst of this, the aggravation that might have been because of Paul's ailment, they loved him. And so not only now has the song of the Galatian church changed, the tone of the song has changed. Look what he says in verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. What happened? And it happened fast. Well, many people believe that this issue here was connected to Paul's eyesight And that the Galatians loved Paul so much that they would have given him their own eyes. That's what the gospel does. That's why Christian families uh, move into the the messiness of foster care and adoption. That's why we we want to support and be a part of the work of places like the Fort Walton Beach Center for Women. That's why when we have a hurting friend who's a believer or non-believer, we want to press in, we want to listen, we want to help. That's why we value our children's ministry. That's why discipleship matters. This is a part of loving Jesus. But Paul is saying, you loved me, but what has happened? You see, the Galatians were receiving what Paul had to say, but now he says in verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You see, they don't like what Paul has to say. The truth will not help you win a popularity contest. Probably beginning with about my age and after, we placed a high value on being real, being authentic. I mean, churches even when market, this is a place where we're real and we're authentic. Here's what I've noticed. Most people are pretend real and pretend authentic. But when somebody really speaks into your life, Mm, that's a little too real. That's a little too authentic. You see, it's easy to be real and authentic on an Instagram reel. It's different to look people in the eyes and talk about how we're actually living this out and them to question each of uh, uh, us on how we're actually living this out. Why is this such a hard thing? Why did the Galatians not wanna hear the truth? Why do people leave when people talk about the truth? Because the truth is divisive when people want to believe a lie. The truth is divisive when people want to believe a lie. And the lie we want to believe is almost always tied to us building ourselves up or us giving ourselves what we want or protecting all of that. And the gospel stings. Some of the scripture stings. It, it confronts us with the fact that we're not holy. We can't trust in ourselves. That we have a desperate need for the grace of God to save us and to sustain us. But what happened in Galatia is there were these people who were coming alongside the Galatian Christians. They were trying to get them to join this man made bandwagon of belief, saying, hey, Don't worry about that. Do these things. Be like this and you're good. And I think we need to recognize this drift. And I I wanna give you three keys to building our lives. Three keys to building our lives. You and I are looking for external affirmation, even if you don't think you are. And Paul says in verse 17, of these who've come in and teach, taught falsely, they make much of you but for no good purpose. These false teachers are trying to puff up the Galatians to win them to their side. People want to follow and want to be with people who make them feel better. And This is not completely bad. We were created for community. We were created for acceptance. But if it is to the neglect of the truth, that community, that acceptance is unhealthy. If people are building you up on the foundation of a lie, it is dangerous. If people are building you up on the foundation of a lie, it is dangerous. Today, we have a cultural error error in believing that we need to find our truth, your truth. But if your truth is not tied to the actual truth, your truth is misleading and misguiding, and it is a lie. And today, in Christianity, you can find almost any version of Christianity tied to your truth. And what you will find is you will find codependent relationships between spiritual leaders and congregations. Where I, let's choose me because I'm the preacher man in this situation, say what you want to hear so that you keep coming back, and that's what I want to hear. And so we enter into this relationship where we depend on one another for affirmation. So you might say, well then, wait, how do I know that that's not you, James? How do I know that that's not my famous pastor or whoever it is that I'm listening to? Well, look at what verse 17 says. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Those who are operating in this way don't want you to hear the truth. That's not their goal. Their goal is that you make much of them or that you make much of their church and therefore make much of them. And to keep this going, they have to avoid twist or outright change some truth. I remain continually shocked at the number of gospel-professing, gospel-proclaiming, allegedly Bible-believing Christians who don't know simple doctrinal issues. And sometimes it's ignorance, and I don't think those people should be teaching if they're ignorant to those things. But I would say this, if we're in the word, and Christian, we're all called to be in the word, it will ultimately have to come to avoidance and twisting and changing the truth. And what I've noticed is that systems are created where you depend upon that spiritual leader to hear from God. How do you know that that's their aim? I would just say this, number two, Beware of anyone building in a way that de-emphasizes the truth. That de-emphasizes the truth. Listen, you don't need me. You don't need me. God uses those whom he calls. He uses spiritual leaders to build up the body of Christ but you don't need them to hear from God. This relationship should not be that you are depending on me or anyone else to hear from God. The aim of a Christian leader is to make much of Jesus Christ. That's their aim. And for you to grow in making much of Jesus Christ. And if not, that Christian leader does not understand the gospel. Listen to what Paul says in verse 18. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. We want affirmation. We want validation. We want acceptance. We probably have marriage issues or financial difficulties or we've, we're hurting and we've lost someone, or we've experienced failure. And here's what I could do. Hey, guys, you are great. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And you have desires in your heart, and you need to pursue them. Don't let anyone tell you that you shouldn't pursue them because you are destined to greatness and what is inside of you is something that has been put there by God so follow your dreams and when you're going up your mountain and others try to tear you down from that mountain don't compare yourself to others mountains don't let people get in your way you get to the top of that mountain now don't go and make that a viral clip and take me out of context (laughs) Listen, I listened to some of this preaching and it sounds like lyrics to a Taylor Swift song. The problem with this is that our heart is destined towards sin apart from the grace of God. The problem is You. <laughs> It is me. But God, this is what the gospel says. He didn't look at our problem and see us as a problem. He looked at our problem and he saw it as a solution. Not that you could overcome, not that you are enough for, but that he in his infinite goodness said, I'll intervene. That's the gospel. That's the gospel for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to earn it. And so we should be Wanting, that's bad grammar, we should want to be built up on the foundation of the truth. We should want to be built up on the foundation of the truth. This is what Paul wants for them. And he, it's not just about him. It's not just about him. He, he says, look, verse 18, and not only when I'm present with you. He's saying, I'm not saying depend on me. This isn't about Paul, this isn't about the gospel. What I'm talking about isn't about Bayshore's way versus whatever, listen, the more you're in our church, the more you realize how jacked up we are. This is about Jesus, this is about maturity in Christ, this is about you being centered around the gospel. Paul says in verse 19, my little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He says, even as you're born, I still have that the anguish of childbirth because I wanna see you mature. His goal is spiritual maturity. His goal is that you are like Christ. A parent's job does not stop when the baby is born. Hey, if your church says we're gonna revolve everything around people coming to faith in Christ and that's it, I love them, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we keep being focused on the maturity in Christ. Listen, I love my children I love them, but I don't want them to hang around my house until they're 30 years old. I realize there's extenuating circumstances that that happens, so (laughs) don't be mad. And I realize that my odds of having six children are that one might do that. But here's what I want for you too. I don't want you to be dependent on me. I want to nourish you with the word, care for you, and then I want you to get the heck out of the house. No more spiritual ramen. Eat the word of God. Solid food for you. Paul says in verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. I would just say this. It is perplexing. It's odd how Christian people become without becoming a Christian. It's odd how Christian people become without becoming a Christian. This is what we've been talking about throughout this whole series. Gospel central, but if we build upon that, or I would say if we, even if we depart from that into the lawlessness and legalism, we can really apply a lot of morals to our life without really responding to the gospel. We could keep the traditions and the rituals without ever really responding to the gospel. We can become very spiritual people who long for the presence of God without ever responding to the gospel. We can become very intellectual people who know a lot about the Bible without ever responding to the gospel. Do you see what this means? Listen, Satan does not care if you try to keep all the rules, provided that you take credit for keeping all the rules. In fact, he will assist you with your moral resolve if you do it that way. Satan wants you to try to become one of those Christians who bases their righteousnesses Righteousness on experiences and he will use others to create great experiences to keep you tied to that. Satan wants a faith that is loosely tied to God's word and is more tied to cultural progressiveness and he will help you find people. Satan wants you to find pride in being separate from culture and he's going to give you reasons to be scared of not engaging in the mission of Christ. Satan does not mind if you come to church, lead a life group, become a pastor, work to change politics, seek prayer in schools. He's in favor of whatever your moral agenda is, provided you rely on yourself instead of Christ and take credit for it yourself instead of humbly depending on and giving all glory to God. Our adversary has a clever scheme by which he aims to ruin us and our church that we would use religion to build ourselves up. And what happens is we begin to look to some kind of law and it's a shifting law as the standard. And Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? See, when we start to base our righteousness on keeping these standards, what's gonna happen is we're gonna be killing it, right? We're gonna be going after it. And then we're gonna meet that guy, that woman, who they wake up at five o'clock in the morning and they read their Bible and they journal and they don't even have to have coffee to do it. And they're like on another spiritual level. And so we're gonna respond in one of two ways based on our character. If you're like me, you're gonna be like, oh, he wakes up at 5 a.m. I'm gonna wake up at 4.30 a.m. And I'm gonna text him at 4.50 and be like, God just got done with my devotional. What are you reading? you're not even up yet. <laughs> or if your personality is different than that, you're gonna be the person that says, I'm just gonna, that guy's, he's, he's the problem because I can never keep up with that. So I gotta change the standard and I gotta villainize him, even if he really does gen- genuinely love Jesus. And so you know I'm gonna go over here where we kind of are exercising more freedom in our walk with Christ. You, you see, either way, your basis is wrong. You're using some version of the law to make yourself righteous. Avoid that. I, I feel like I can say this because we've been foster parents for seven years. What I have noticed, because foster and adoptive care is a great work, but what I've noticed is even within that community is there's a sense of pride that says we've done this, we've earned something, and then that community, become, our community, our identity becomes tied to that community and whatever it might be, I'm just using that one as an example, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the worship gathering, the purpose of discipleship, the purpose of, our, purpose of our Christian relationships is our identity is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our goal and our aim is not to build ourselves up. It's to glorify him because the foundation of our life is not the hope of what our life may be built to be. It is the foundation which Jesus Christ has laid down. That is the foundation of our life. So let me just say this in closing. Some of you have walked away from that. There was a moment in your life where the gospel got a hold of you. It was all about Jesus. And today, today, Perhaps you found a group of friends, you found a community, you found a cell within the church where it's not. And if you really listen to the conversations you have, we even begin to elevate ourselves in the way we talk. And I just pray that the Lord would show you his grace and you would center yourself around the gospel. For some of you, When I was in college, I remember some of my Christian friends, they had a party with some friends, and this one guy, he was kind of a rough guy, they came to me after the next day after the party, and they said, hey, this guy, I won't say his name, he gave his life to Jesus last night. I was like, yeah, really? Yeah, tell me about it. He was like, yeah, well, he had like 10 beers, and then he was just upset and sad, and he, we prayed with him, and he gave his life to Christ. And I said, I just don't know about the sincerity of that confession because he was intoxicated and not thinking clearly. Sure enough, it wasn't genuine. There was no fruit. He didn't even really acknowledge that in his life. I mean, he remembered he prayed, but that was about it. Some of you, when you gave your life to Jesus, it was because you were hoping that Jesus would give you what you wanted your life to be. You were intoxicated by the lust of this world and you saw Jesus as a means for it. But you've never really grasped the gospel. The gospel is that we are nothing without Christ. And Christ emptied himself And made himself nothing, being found in human form, becoming a servant, and was obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. So that his name, his name would be exalted. And our life as a Christian is now what Paul said in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. But the purpose of Christ is the righteousness that we can never have on our own. Receive that freely today. Pray with me. Jesus, I do pray for the person in this room who they've strayed from the simple, deep hunger for you. Wanting more, but realizing you are more than enough. That you are all powerful and all sufficient and ever faithful. And all they need is you. God, I pray for the person in this room who for whatever reason continues to measure their worth based on how they're performing. God, may they just bow and give up before the cross and see what you did and remember their worth. And I pray for the person who has been intoxicated by the things they want in this world. May they come to see how insufficient those are and how all-sufficient you are. God, may you be exalted in our life as we sing now and as we continue on. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to the word together. Ask him to search our hearts.